Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time. Let me remind you about the website. Of course, if you just remember the name of the program, Bible Crossfire, you can remember the name for the website, BibleCrossfire.com. You can go there and ask me a Bible question anytime during the week, even in the middle of the night with the email at that website. Or you can listen to any old program going back to July 2015. Or you can start working on a correspondence course. Uh, basically, you're doing a correspondence course online where you can learn at your own rate. Or you can request a phone Bible study with me. Sometime I'd be glad to study with you free of charge whenever's convenient for you. Uh, a one-hour free phone Bible study, you can request that. Do that anytime. So BibleCrossFire.com if you want to do any of those things. We appreciate you listening tonight. Tonight, I have a friend that's supposed to join me. Let's see if I can click him in. Greg, can you hear me okay? I hear you, Pat. Have you got me? Yeah, I got you. Greg Gwynn is a friend of mine that lives about an hour, hour and a half north of me in Columbia, Tennessee. And I saw an article by Greg a week or two ago on this subject called situation ethics, which some of us know exactly what that means, but many might not know what it means. So I thought I'd invite Greg uh, to be a guest on the program. Uh, and and help us talk about that subject as it relates to the Bible in particular. Uh, so we're while, while we're waiting on our first call, we're going to let talk to Greg about this subject. But again, if you have a Bible question or comment, you can call us. I always let the callers have priority. Uh, the lines are wide open right now. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 6755 if you have a Bible question or comment on any Bible topic. Greg, just what is situation ethics? How would you define it? Well, Pat, the the most famous proponent of situation ethics was an Episcopal priest by the name of Joseph Fletcher. He died about 30 years ago in 1991, uh, but he wrote a book called Situation Ethics, The New Morality. That that was the title of his book, and I've just got a couple of quotes from there that sort of tells what he thinks. Uh, he says, for instance, in his book, in situation ethics, even the most revered principles may be thrown aside if they conflict with any concrete case of love. He says if a lie is told unlovingly, it's wrong, it's evil, but if a lie is told in love, it's good and right. He goes on to say – Therefore, what is sometimes good may at other times be evil, and what is sometimes wrong may sometimes be right if it serves a good enough end. It all depends on the situation. And he goes so far as to say any act, even lying, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and murder could be right depending on the circumstance. And so he concludes in the new morality situation that it declares that anything and everything is right or wrong according to the situation. So I think Joseph Fletcher uh, did a pretty good job of finding what he means. Everything is just is completely determined by what the circumstance, the situation you're in. Right and wrong are only by the situation. situation that- Greg, you're saying that. All any and all sins pointed out by by the Bible as being wrong, including murder or 
possibly rape, homosexuality, as you said, lying, any of those could be considered right in God's eyes if you participate in them, as long as the situation dictated it? Yeah, he says it all depends on the situation. If it serves a good enough end, he says, quote, if it serves a good enough end, depending on the circumstances, these things could be right. So I can see how people might use, even preachers, people who claim to be Christians, might see situation ethics as a way to justify sin. Where do we see situation ethics being used to justify sin, Greg? And how common and accepted is this here in our culture? I think it's really widely accepted, Pat. That's the sad thing. But, you know, it's not entirely new. Uh, as we said, Joseph Joseph Fletcher wrote this book about 50 years ago. Uh, a lot of people follow this mentality. You, you remember, uh, Pat, you, you and I are not too much different in age, and so I know you would remember the old Andy Griffith show on TV. Uh, the reruns of that are still being played over and over and over again. And anybody who's familiar with the old Andy Griffith show, they remember how often Andy would tell a lie to to protect Barney's feelings. Yeah, so, I remember that. Even in that show, it was this concept. If it serves a good end, it's okay. You can do it. But, I mean, we see it We see it in our culture. We see it in music. Remember the old country song that was popular years ago, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. You yeah. Know, you know, things like that. But we're, we're seeing it taught even in our schools. The uh, U.S. News and World Report talked about things that are in school books. This is an article from a while, a while back. It's, it's probably gotten worse, not better. Uh, so in, in a school textbook, the question was asked to grade school students. Most people think cheating is wrong. You think there's ever a time when it might be right. Tell when it is right. Tell when you think it's right. Cheat. And so even in school textbooks, uh, the concept is being promoted. It's very common. It's endemic in our society, really. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. You might have a question for Greg on this topic of situation ethics, or I'm sure Greg would take a question on any Bible topic. Uh, this would be a good chance to ask Greg any Bible question while we got him on the air. The number to call is 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Wide open. Eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Any Bible topic is fair game. Greg. Now, the name of this program is uh, Bible Crossfire. You have a program kind of similar to this called the Virtual Bible Study. We're always trying to get folks involved in Bible study. We say on this program, and I'm sure you say the same thing, uh, that any question is allowed, but we're going to insist that the Bible provides the answer. And that's pretty much the way you, your philosophy too, right, Greg? Absolutely right. You know, uh, I have said before, and probably others have said it plenty of times before me, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. And, <laughs> but that improves. And what we have to rely upon the Bible. We can't depend upon our own opinions. So the Bible is the rule for this program. We allow discussion, friendly disagreement. The only rule is the Bible 
provides the final answer. So, Greg, talking about situation ethics, let's talk about what the Bible has to say. From a biblical point of view, Greg, what's wrong with situation ethics? I mean, it sounds kind of good. It sounds kind of good. I can kind of commit sins uh, that I want to commit and try to figure out a way to justify it. What does the Bible say about that, though? Okay, now, remember that that Joseph Fletcher, in, in his book, The New Morality, he says that, that uh, the only, this is another quote from him, he says, the only one general proposition is prescribed, namely the commandment to love God through thy neighbor. All other generalities, for instance, tell the truth or respect life, these are at most only maxims, never rules. For the situation ethicist, there are no rules, none at all. Even the most revered principles may be thrown aside if they conflict in any concrete case with love. So the, the, in situation ethics, the, the overriding principle, according to Joseph Fletcher, is that love, love is, determines everything. If, if, if you, whatever you do, if you do it out of love, if the situation calls for you to, to lie because you, in love you think it's the best thing to do, then that makes it okay. But biblically, this ignores the, the fact that there's a higher principle than love for others, and that, and, and that higher principle is love for God. So in situation ethics, they're making love for another person the, the determining factor. When biblically, the, ter- the determining factor of right and wrong is love for God. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so Jesus said the first and great commandment is to love God. As we know in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So for those who want to follow the Bible, the determining factor in right and wrong is not how does this manifest my love for someone else. That's a, an important secondary consideration. But biblically, the first consideration has to be loving God and keeping his commandments. Greg, there's one thing I'm thankful about when it comes to Bible study, to determining what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live, what we have to do to please him. It's because we have one written standard, it becomes objective. We just look in the Bible and find out what God wants us to do. And it's, in a way, in many cases, it's cut and dried. It's objective, isn't it, Greg? That's right. You know, uh, we couldn't play a ball game together unless we had a set of established rules. Uh, in, in any mutual endeavor, it requires that we have some absolute rules to go by. And as you say, very thankfully, when it comes to religion, we have the absolute rule of God's law. He gave us a perfect revelation. Uh, and, and so we need to love him and show that we love him by following that perfect revelation that he gave us. Jesus said, John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, here's what I was leading up to, Greg. It seems to me with situation ethics, we've changed the objective to the subjective because you say, well, you do whatever uh, is good, uh, efficient at loving your neighbor, but that's kind of subjective. I mean, 
you're loving somebody, Greg, might cause you to do treat him differently than me. Isn't it kind of subjective if that's what it boiled yeah. down to? Yeah. So so here you and I are, are, are trying to to deal with this same exact situation. But you, in your mind, you choose to do one thing. In my mind, I choose to do something different. And they may be contrary or even, uh, you know, opposing. The outcomes may be opposing one another. But according to situation ethics, we'd have to say both are right. There are no absolute. That, to me, would make serving God totally confusing. To me, uh, when I talk to people about the Bible, Greg, I'm sure it's the same for you, and I asked your comment, that, they talk about God telling them this and telling them that. I mean, how could you tell uh, who's uh, who, who's telling you the truth if they anybody could say? I mean, Jim Jones used to say, the guy who made had everybody drink the Kool Aid with poison in it, that God told me this and God told me that, and you got to drink this Kool Aid with poison in it. How would we know who's telling the truth if God is revealing that way? I was so thankful we have one written standard we can tell. It just seems That's like. Right. We get, we run into the same problem when we run into situation ethics. Well, we don't always know that a lie is wrong. We don't always know that adultery is wrong. It just depends upon the situation. And if Jim Jones, and I understand he did this, he said God told me to people his age, Jim Jones, 50-something 50, 50 years old, he would tell people in his congregation who are in his same age range, God told me to sleep with your daughter. Well, it's all subjective. How are you supposed to know if? if God is really talking to Jim Jones or not. But if we go by the Bible with that as the final authority, we don't have to worry about Jim Jones and people like him who are saying that God tells them this. We have that one written standard. To me, I think God was so wise to do it that way, Greg, to have one written standard. It's objective. We know that adultery is always wrong. We know that telling a lie is always wrong. But but that leads, Greg, to another question. And you brought this question out for me to ask. Instead of using situation ethics, when we're confronted confronted with difficult situations, what should we do? Because we all know sometimes we're afraid that if we tell the truth, it may, it may hurt their feelings or something like that. We get difficult situations like that. How are we supposed to confront them if situation ethics is not true, if the Bible is absolute and a lie is always a lie, Greg? Well, I think you're exactly right to, to, to point out the fact uh, Pat, that – Life is full of difficult situations. We're not denying that at all. And and really, uh, uh, some trouble comes into everybody's life. Nobody's life is, is you know, completely carefree or without problems. We understand that. And we all deal with that, you know. Uh, but God's Word has the answer. And, for instance, when I'm dealing with a very tough situation, there's some wonderful promises in the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And so when I'm facing this tough situation, maybe I'm tempted. Uh, in, uh, maybe it's a temptation about some sexual immorality. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, lust or pornography. Uh, maybe I'm tempted with stealing or uh, who knows what it is. But whatever I'm, whatever I'm dealing with, God has made a promise that he'll take a way to escape. And I just need to look for that promised way of escape. I think there's a verse that comes to mind that I think of when I think of situation ethics. And you, 
I'm going to get you to comment upon it, Greg. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Evidently, Paul was being accused of something, and he's denying it. He says, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do good, let us do evil, that good may come, whose condemnation is just. Isn't that kind of like, isn't Paul kind of saying people are accusing him of following this situation ethics kind of reasoning? I can do evil as long as good will come? That sure sounds like it, doesn't So uh, uh, I think our takeaway from that, Pat, would be Joseph Fletcher tried to formalize this idea of the new morality of situation ethics in his book. But actually, the, the, the concept or the thought, the thought behind it has been around for a long time. And it's always been wrong. It's never been right. I was going to get you to comment upon Oh, go ahead, Greg. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going uh, uh, to, to your earlier question about what should I do when I'm faced with tough circumstances. So look for God promises there will be a way of escape. Look for Look for the answers to your problems in the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, thy, lamp, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So use the word of God. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, in three different ways, three different times, his response to the temptation that was put before him was to quote scripture. I know you've you've probably talked about that in Matthew four when we read about Satan Jesus. He relied upon the word of God to help resist doing wrong. And that's what we need to do. We need to just trust God, uh, uh, know that his way is right. Proverbs favor Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not into the own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy path. But so we just got it. We have very much uh, got to be determined that God's way is right. Uh, it, it, and we just need to have the faith and confidence uh, to trust it and follow his way. Regina from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, yes, um, I am um, Christian, spirit-filled. Uh, but several years ago, and I believe every word in the Bible, several years ago my doctor put me on some medication for chronic pain and uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And so what it, it what it has done is kind of numb my, my feeling with inside, my spiritual feeling, you know. My question, and I know you probably, I don't know, I can't find a definitive answer whether I should just suffer with the pain or um, if it's okay for me to take this medication, even though it feels I feel like it may be, um, uh, I don't know the right way to say it, um, diminishing my relationship with Jesus. Are you talking about the pain medicine, right? Yes, uh-huh. Greg, could you hear that question? Hold on a minute, Regina. I'm trying to see if Greg, can I get Greg on the line? Hold on. This may put you on hold. Let me put you on hold and see if I can get Greg. Okay. Hold on. Ah, Greg, did you hear that question? Yeah, I think I got the most of it. I missed a little bit. My phone dropped out on me. Uh, I I think I got most of it. And the question is, is, you know, this, this might be, you know, fit right in with our topic tonight, Pat. So here's the situation. Does does this situation make it okay for me to take maybe medicine that 
would be otherwise sinful to take. Uh, and I think we're not depending upon situation ethics to get the answer to that. I, I would refer to First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-three, when Paul told Timothy, "Drink no longer water, but use the wine for the stomach's sake, and that often infirmity." Paul told Timothy. Timothy's obvious normal practice was to abstain from alcohol altogether. As a faithful first century Christian, he drank no alcohol at all. Paul told him to drink a little wine uh, for his infirmities or for his physical health. Uh, there's obviously there's a lot better available to him today alcohol, but, but uh, uh, I think a principle is set forth there that. And if it is legitimate medical necessity that there there is license or permission for us to use medicines to deal with physical infirmity. So we're looking at First Timothy five twenty three, and it, and it would seem to show that uh, drugs could be used, uh, particularly if we're talking about per, like a prescription drug from a doctor. To solve some more problems, that that would be a legitimate from a biblical standpoint, right, Greg? I think, yeah, I think I could take First Timothy five verse twenty three and draw that conclusion that this would be, in other words, maybe it's some kind of narcotic medicine that the doctor says that I need to deal with a specific health issue that I have. Ordinarily, we would argue that the scriptures condemn taking those kind of things. But First Timothy 5.23 sets forward a principle that we could apply that would say in, in this case, when it's a medical necessity, it would be authorized by God. And that's what we're looking for. We said several times in the program already, we're, we're looking for the authorization of the Word of God, not just our own think-sos and opinions. Greg, I was on Facebook I saw this not too long ago. A young lady was talking about how that she had done something, and and then then a couple of passages were uh, posted to perhaps challenge her that maybe what she had did was wrong against what the guy the Bible says. And she said this, and I'm I'm gonna try to quote it the best I can, Greg, and then get your comments. She said, "If I've sinned by doing such and such." Uh, there's a reason Jesus died on the cross, and it wasn't so everybody would be perfect. It was so everybody could be washed clean from our wrongdoings. Uh, it seems like she's saying it's okay to sin because that's why Jesus died, so that we could sin. We could sin, and Jesus' blood would wash away our sins. You got any comments yeah, that, about that kind of philosophy, Greg? I think that's way off base, Pat. Uh Paul, you, you you were reading in Romans 3 a minute ago. In Romans 6, Paul actually asked that question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so Paul seemed like he would deal with that idea. Oh, it's okay to sin because we got God's grace. God's grace will just cover it. Go ahead and do what you want. And Paul said, absolutely not. It seems like to me that the the opposite would be true. Since Jesus died for our sins, and think about the suffering and the horrendous amount of painful torture he went through, the appreciation we have for what Jesus has done for us should cause us to want to sin less, not to think it's okay to sin. You agree, Greg? 
I agree completely, Pat. In other words, our goal, our 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 priority is to be just as compliant to the Word of God as we can possibly be. Now, understanding that we fall short sometimes, and there's provision for that, we can be forgiven. But our goal should not be to sin so that we can exercise the privilege of forgiveness more and more. Our our objective should be to be more and more what God wants us to be so that less and less we need to seek his forgiveness. I think, I like to say this, our goal should be perfection. We're not going to make it, but it should be, should be perfection so that when we don't make our goal, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to repent. But if our goal is just to do five out of every ten things right, then when we do five out of ten, we're not going to be disappointed. We won't repent. Anyway, we're going to have to go off the air in about 20 seconds. Let me mention to the audience, if you would like that free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, then I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. If you want a free one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me at 256-682-9753.